13th chapter. I'm sorry, let's go to 2 Kings. 13th chapter. If you're taking notes today or if, if you're one of those kind of people that just like to know what the title of the message is, the title of the message is simply entitled The Process of Persistence Produces Excellence. The Process of Persistence Produces Excellence. Interesting story in the Bible, 2 Kings, the 13th chapter. And I want to go to verse 18. Elisha is giving counsel to the king. The king is under attack. When you are doing what God wants you to do, there will always be an attack. What is ironic is the world never plays fair. The world will not honor 31 years of full-time ministry, helping thousands of people, walking hundreds through restoration, drugs, alcohol, divorce, all, all, all of that. They'll never refer to that, but what the world will do will lie and cheat and steal and do their best to trash you. Can anybody relate? The persistence of a God walk, staying faithful and consistent to the things of God is quite a chore. It's quite, it's quite a job. Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And compared to his burden and compared to his yoke, it was light. When you look at some of the things that God has provided us with and some of the things that God has done for us, we sing that song, what have you done for him lately? If God never did another thing for me, the fact that I'm not dying and going to a devil's hell and the fact that Jesus is preparing a place for me right now, I would serve him the rest of my life, however long that might be, and not, not expect or demand another thing. But as a dad, I understand the concept of being a father, I understand the concept of, of, of being a husband, and I am just a type of a shadow of what God is. God said, I will be the husband to the widow, I'll be the father to the orphan. And what is so cool, he said, I didn't come for the righteous, I didn't come for the sanctimonious. I didn't come for the holy. I came for the sick. So if you're going through a storm or you're going through a burden or you're going through a war or you're going through a problem, you are a candidate today for a blessing. Look at somebody and say, I'm going through one of those four things. So I will not leave this place feeling the way I did when I got up this morning. This is a new day. The promises of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I remember that song that says, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you. Tomorrow, you're only a day away. Today is the tomorrow you prayed about yesterday. I bet Will Rogers wish he'd have said that, Veronica. Today is the tomorrow you prayed about yesterday. And so far, everything's been pretty good. Every one of you have clothes, shoes on your feet. How cool is that? Every one of you look nice and pretty and lovely and, and all that. Every one of you got here. Some, you didn't have to walk to church this morning. You, you've got air conditioning in your life. Praise God for air conditioning. Somebody, you're going home to a refrigerator that there is food in that refrigerator. It may just be ramen noodles, but it's food. Help me now. Some of, you have, some of you have a great job. Some of you have a great life, a great marriage. A lot of times we just need to write all the good things in our life before we tell our problems about Jesus. 
Do you hear me? Problems won't hang around when you talk about Jesus. And when you think of his goodness and what he's done for you, something on the inside of you is ignited, explodes, and you implode and things begin to change. We talked a couple of weeks ago about what are you addicted to? What floats your boat? What, what, what gets you stroke? What, 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 gets you, what, what gets you feeling groovy? What, what, what is it? And those things, you realize that the more you invest in those things, the, the, the better you're going to enjoy life. If you're investing in the right things. That makes sense? Right. I mean, obviously there's a balance here somewhere. And I so much like the fact that Chris was led by the Spirit today because when I got up this morning out of bed, I said, Lord, please don't let Chris wear that shirt that looks just like mine. And sure enough, isn't he lovely? Isn't that a, isn't, isn't he lovely? This king, watch this. This king knows that Elisha is a man of God. And this king knows that Elisha is anointed. There are some people, they're not aware of your anointing. They're not aware of where you're at with God. Ezekiel said, thou art but a lovely voice. They stand by the wall and talk about you, jealous. But the day will come when they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. Samuel went to God and said, God, the people are rejecting me. And God said, no, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Let me tell you something about the things of God. God does not judge you according to your success. God judges you according to your faithfulness. So if you live the life, tell the story and sing the song, when you stand before God, he will say, well done thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now look what, what that seed you planted. Now look and see what that seed has turned into. And I promise you there will come a day, the day of days, after you cast your crown at his feet and you see your mansion and you see all the new world you can explore and all the things you can do, you're gonna seek me out, you're gonna find me. And you say, Pastor, thank you for every Sunday morning asking me to bring a box of Captain Crunch and a jar of Skippy's peanut butter. Thank you for giving me opportunities to sow into the needy, into the homeless, into those in prison. Thank you for providing a place where every Sunday morning we could come and worship and feel the presence of God. It may not happen in this lifetime, but I promise you that day will come. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, I told you so. I've been wanting to say that for years to many different people. So far, I've managed to be very calm, very nice, and not do that told you so thing. But, but that, that day is going to come. But there is something about the, the order of persistence. Let me show you this story. The king knows that the enemy is against him. The king also knows that he's tapped into the things of God. 2 Kings, the 13th chapter, the 18th verse. And he said unto him, take the arrows so the king picks up the arrows and he says and the king of israel smite upon the ground and he and he smote upon the ground three times and he stopped and elisha and the man of god was angry with him watch this and said thou should have had smitten five or six times that then thou hadst smitten syria till thou hast consumed it whether it's now thou shalt smite Syria, but thrice. Notice if you will, verse 25, skip all those names and go down to where it says, three times did Joash beat him and recovered the cities of Israel. 
see this scenario. Anytime you're doing what God wants you to do, there's always going to be an attack. You will never be immune from attack. Here's what Jesus said. If they hate me, and obviously they did, they'll hate you even more because all that I have for you, I will follow up and make sure it happens. And everybody has this opportunity. The Bible says many are called. And the definition is, but few accept the call. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few choose to accept that call that God has placed upon their life because it's costly to serve the Lord. When you look at the 12 disciples of Jesus, with the exception of John, there was a day when James and John, their mother went to Jesus. And she said, Jesus, my sons are so cool. Would it be okay if when you get your throne, would you let one sit on the left and one sit on the right? And here's what Jesus said. They have no clue what kind of cup they're gonna drink. They have no clue of what they're gonna go through. And after Jesus dies, the first disciple beheaded is James. The last disciple to die is John, the two brothers. They drank what he drank. They ate what he drank. They endured what he endured. They tried to boil John in oil. Now, how hard would that be? How hard would it be to boil somebody in oil? You get a pot, you put oil in it, you put a flame to it, you wait till it bubbles, and you throw the guy in there. They threw John in the oil, and it didn't kill him, and they freaked out. And then they put him on the Isle of Patmos, which is a gorgeous island with flowers and animals and birds and, and all this stuff. And there he wrote the, 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 the four five books he wrote, wrote the book of Revelation. But James and John were guys that said, I have decided to follow Jesus regardless of how uncomfortable it is. And in that generation, five million Christians were murdered by Nero because he hated their God. And he said, if I stomp them out, I will stomp their God out. But through the generations, the blood of the martyrs has encouraged us. When we go through a dark time or a tough time, we read the word of God and realize there's somebody that had it worse off than I did. And God was faithful. I once complained that I had no shoes until I met a man that had no feet. So this, this godly king knows that all the world's against him, knows that Syria is determined to take him out. The man of God tells him a couple of verses earlier, shoot an arrow out the window. He shot out the window. He said that represents the power and the authority of God. In other words, he had carte blanche. He had anything that he would have asked for at that particular time in his life. But when he took the arrows and only smote them three times, the man of God got angry. He said, why did you just do it three times? Why do you do it five or six times? Now, three times you'll, you'll, you'll conquer the enemy, but you follow up on the story. Later, the enemy comes back and takes back what the king has regained because they didn't completely take the land. Look at somebody and say, God wants you, God wants you to, completely take the land, to completely take the land, to remove all the hooks from your jaw. Go ahead, to remove all the hooks from your jaw that you can walk in freedom and you can start paying back. You can start investing in the lives of others. You start making a difference in someone's life. When I, when I think of persistence, I think about when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I bought me a lawnmower and it was pretty cool to watch. I had a lawnmower and on that lawnmower was a push broom and a rake and I would push the lawnmower and then I would drag the edger. And in that, in that window of my life, 13, 14 years of age, I had 15 or 20 lawns I mowed every single week. See, in California, it never, it, grass doesn't die, it grows all year long. And so every week I would, put, I would take my lawnmower, I'd take my edger, and I would go and mow my lawns. Gene, I can remember charging some lawns only a dollar. 
But the minimum wage in those days was $1.95. But I remember some, some yards I got $5 for. And I remember 13, 14, 15, at the age of 16, I got a, I got a, I got a job for, of a guy that cuts down these trees. And, and in those days, we didn't have those big stump grinders. In those days, we didn't have the ability. In those days, we cut down the tree by hand. I don't know if you've ever removed a tree from your yard, an oak tree, but here's what would happen. We would dig around the roots the best we could, and then we would take an ax, and we try to cut that root in two. And then we would dig around that root, and we would cut another root. And after about, and after about six hours of nothing but perspiration and, and, and effort, we decided to tie a chain around the trunk. And we took the chain around the trunk, and then we put the chain on the bumper of the truck. And then he would negotiate the chain, and I would get in the truck, and we'd get a little slack, and I would bump the truck against that, tr against that, tr that tree trunk. And, and there would be a time, Christian, when you would see it move a little. Sometimes it did absolutely nothing. It didn't even move. So we went back to the ax, and we started whacking around the roots, and we would dig out the roots. And sometimes it was like we were five foot lower than ground level just trying to get the roots. I remember one day in particular, he told me, he said, hey, said, we're going to take this tree out. So he gave me five foot of slack instead of three foot of slack. Well, man, I put that old truck in granny gear. I popped that clutch and I went slammed against that tree truck. And we didn't budge the truck, but we broke the chain. The chain came all the way over the truck and broke out the windshield like this. Scare. I thought I was a, I thought I was a dead man. But, but I remember, I, but, I, but, I, but I remember almost every day was a battle almost every day was a war you fought and then come to find out underneath the tree there's what's called a taproot I mean God doesn't play fair I mean when he said you'll be like a tree planted by the waters that shall not be moved he meant it he was serious about that. And so I, I can remember we would work all day long. We would come home. We would be sweaty. We'd be, but what was nice about that, I got $5 an hour. I got the wages of a man when I was 16 years old. And I love to work. I love to go out. But, I, but when I think about that scripture, Luke 3 and 9, Jesus said, now the ax is laid to the root. The only way to take the tree out is to cut the root. Am I helping anybody in this building? When you make up your mind, you want something. And when you make up your mind, you're going to do something. There's got to be the presence of persistence in your life. All of you have heard me tell the story of, you know, on the, when I started evangelizing in the nation, I was a racquetball player. And I, I was pretty good. I was left-handed. But all the pastors that I would go preach for didn't play racquetball. They golfed. So I got me a, a, a set of left-handed golf clubs. That, that, that's my demise right there in the first place. Most golf clubs, golf courses are designed for a right-hander. So man, I'd get that ball out there and I'd take that driver and I'd whack that ball and that ball would just hook off in the woods. I mean, it would go a long way, but it went the wrong way. Sometimes I would play the other fairway. I'd walk, I'd hit their fairway and come in from that approach. And one Sunday morning, uh, I was talking about how bad my game, really golf spelled backwards is flog. And that's pretty much, Marissa, what I did. I flogged. Man, I would get out there. I can remember looking at that ball. I can remember taking careful aim at that ball. And I can remember taking a mighty and completely missing the ball. Just completely. And the ball's still there. It's like, it, was like, it was like taunting me. It was mocking me. So we, 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 at one time, I got so mad. Keith Dudley was with me. I got so mad. I hit the ball. It didn't even roll past the lady C. That shows you how bad I was. I took my club and 
I threw it and it got up in a tree about 16 foot. Keith Dudley was with me. I said, Keith, will you climb that tree and get the, he goes, I'm not going to climb that tree. You climb it and get your own. So, so I've got all, I got so many golf stories. They're, they're, they're all hilarious. They're all, they're all crazy. One time I hit the ball backwards. I went to swing and somehow the ball went the other way. And don't ask me how that happened. But one Sunday morning, I was talking about how bad, how bad my golf game was. And lo and behold, in the church was a retired pro. Thank you, Matt. Greatest reward in heaven. So there was a pro that came up after service. He said, he said Pastor Hank, would you like to go out to the driving range and, and, and hit some balls? And I've, I've golfed. Well, didn't, tell me, didn't tell me who he was, what he had done, but he was an incredible. He was, he was around the days of Arnold Palmer and was on that circuit. And so we went out got about 50 balls and I, I put the ball on the tee and I took that driver and I whacked the dog out of that driver and sure enough man it would go spin off like that like a frisbee just kind of go now if you're right if you're if you're if you're right hand if you're right-handed that's called a slice but when you're left-handed that's called a hook the, the ball would hook and so I, I hit like the whole bucket like 50 balls and so here's what he said he said pastor Hank you have perfected your mistakes you do it wrong every time. Well, you can imagine how that made me feel. I mean, I'm traveling the world, got a great church. I'm on TV, radio, and he's telling me that my golf game vacuums. And that kind of hurt my feelings. He said, but I'll tell you what, if you'll, if you'll give me an hour or two, I'll work with you. And so he showed me how my wrists need to come over and he showed me how I need to face up, how I need to line up with the, with the hole and how I, how I need to keep my head down and rotate my, my shoulders. How to, how to whack the ball and before the day was over I was taking my driver and I was hitting the ball 250 yards which to you that may not seem like a big deal but to a golfer that's a pretty good drive and I was so I was so impressed I was so I enjoyed I enjoyed what he, I still remember today what he taught me but a few years later I went to Yakima Washington to preach a revival and my pastor said hey let's go to the the the, the driving range I have I have bought us some lessons and so we went, there was a guy there, didn't know half of what my guy knew, and charged $180 an hour. And when I realized how expensive it was to get lessons, I said to myself, man, I wish I'd have taken advantage more of the guy in my church that wasn't charged. You know, we, we got this mindset, if it doesn't cost us anything, it's not important. Now I've heard, I've heard people say the gospel is free. The gospel is not free. The gospel was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that was a very costly investment that God made in you. But there's something about persistency. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, but several years ago, uh, Austin's father went to be with the Lord. I was with him when he went to be with the Lord. And so since then, I've been kind of Austin's dad. He's been a great son. He's not been in trouble. He's not killed anybody, beat up anybody. He's not, he's not, he's just, he's just a great, a great kid. But several years ago, Austin said, Pastor, my heart's desire is to work in a TV station. And of course, I immediately called Daystar. I immediately called Perry Stone, tried to open some doors for him and uh, no doors were open. But Austin began to volunteer his time at the TV station. And he would go weird hours of the night, weird hours of the day. I mean, I mean, he was faithful, he was persistent. He was persistent. Austin, how many years did you volunteer yourself six months and then at the end of six months they hired you because of your faith he got he got the job because he wanted it so bad he decided he would do it without without cost when you've got that kind of mindset you got that kind of attitude 
and you, you don't perfect your mistake. You learn how to do it right. See, practice does not make perfect. Look at me. Perfect practice makes perfect. And something that I've learned about marriage, and Wednesday we celebrated 28 years of marriage, Pastor Rhonda and I. I married her for the second time. Not only was she dumb enough to marry the first time, she was dumb enough to marry the second time. Well, there you have it. But you know, 28 years, 28 years later, it's still a process of persistency. It's still a process of learning when to bite your tongue. It's still a process of winning, not, not to storm out the door. It's still a process of, of learning to put others first as a dad and as, as a father and as a husband. And the more you practice, the better it gets. I know that's hard for some of the younger guys to, to, to recognize and respond, but when you have the same partner for 28 years, life is bliss. Life is a blessing. Do you have any other marriages in the house that would agree? Wave your hand at me and say, Pastor, you're, you are on a roll this morning. It's the same thing about being a dad. I mean, like everybody else, we just assumed that you're supposed to have kids. We didn't read any books. We didn't put anything in our budget for a nursery. There was nothing that we, we just thought, you know, when God wanted us to have a child, he would. We used birth control for a week and that was it, period. There was no birth control in our entire life. And we figured what God wants us to have. Uh, Gene, I would recommend after this one be, to use birth control. Just a little, just a little thought there. But, but when, Courtney, when Courtney was born, we had no clue what was going to be attached to having a we, we really didn't. We had our parents that, you know, they'd, they'd been through it, done okay, I guess. And so, and so be, being a dad is something that every day it's a new venture. Every day is a new door. Every day it's a new opportunity. The older they get, the smarter they get. Let me show you how smart kids are. When kids are five, they want cash. But when they're nine, they want the card. The cash has limits, the card does not. Pastor David and my guy got a witness back there. They learn quick how to milk it. They come up, dad, you're so handsome. And you're such a great dad. And they'll put in their phone, daddy's girl. And they'll Facebook me, daddy's girl. And I'll walk in the house and Christine says, daddy, can I have $20? Here, baby, here's 40. Take 40. Here's, here's 40. There's, there's something about knowing how to say consistent. And you know what? If nothing else happens when I stand before God, it is my goal to have Pastor Ron on one side, Courtney and Christine on the other. And it's my goal for them to tell God that I live such a consistent, persistent life that they saw equity, they saw caliber, they saw character, and they decided to follow in my footsteps. What, what kind of better life can you have than that? When Pastor, when Pastor Rhonda and I were married, I was 24, um, had three goals in life. Uh, my first goal was to make $500 an hour. My second goal was to make $500 an hour for 90 days. And my third goal was to retire at the age of 25. I, I completed my first two goals at the age of 24. We had a Harley, we had a Lotus, we had a Mustang, we had a Chevelle, a brand new house, well, fairly new house at Huntington Beach, had all the toys, had all the money, was making five, 500 to $1,000 an hour. But unfortunately, I got snagged with drugs. When, we, when, we were, when I was a little younger in life, at the age of 18, someone from my secular high school, not my Christian high school, but someone from my secular high school came by the gas station that I was running, a mobile gas station uh, with my college hours, and uh, he, he smoked a joint with me. 
and that, that joint went to one thing, then it went to another. And for the next six years, it was like a, a roller coaster. I so bad sometimes wanted to be clean. I can remember one evening, I was so mad at Marlboro, so mad that I'd drive down the road, rolled down the window and threw a pack of hard, hard pack of Marlboro out the window. And, and then went to the next corner and stopped and bought another pack. And then about three, about three miles, that night, I think I threw away four packs of Marlboro, but I bought five packs. It was such a, it was such a, and I guess the point that I'm making, there can be a negative to your persistence. If you're, if you're persistently pursuing, I wasn't going to say profanity, but I won't because nobody really goes out of their way to pursue profanity. Just a thought though. If, if, if there are things, if there are things in your life that are bad for you and you're consistently doing them, you probably will get it as well as anybody else gets it but in the long run it will cost you in the long run it will hurt you i had a friend in my life um, owner of a bermuda triangle relationship i guess for 15 years we had saltwater aquarium and uh, he would take he would took red man and he would put it right here on, on his lip right here and he, he wouldn't smoke but he would do the red man thing and i kept telling him i said man i'm john that that that's going to hurt you that's going to there was a report later somewhere in the 90s that red man took fiberglass and put it in their in, they put in their product and that fiberglass was so tiny so minute but it cut your lip and that that nicotine got down in your lip and that's why people crave uh, that, that's why they dip that's why they chew is because you were you were set up to be a guinea pig and it worked and, and, and they don't mind paying millions of dollars in losses because they're making billions of dollars. Does that make sense? And I said, John, I'm telling you, if you don't get that stuff out of your mouth, you're going to get cancer. A year later, Pastor Hank, can you pray for me? I go, what's going on? He goes, I got cancer. I said, let's pray. I believe God's going to touch you. I said, but John, here's what you can't do. You can't get a miracle. You can't get a healing and then go back to your vomit. I mean, I mean, if you really want God to heal you, you got to make a deal with God and say, God, I will never, ever do this again if you heal me. Went to the hospital, had surgery. God healed him five years ago. He's not put any tobacco in his mouth whatsoever because he made a deal with God. And you know what? If we've got the energy to be committed to the wrong things, why can't we have the same energy to be committed to the right things? I've, I wrote down here in my notes, and let me check my notes to make sure I don't miss anything. We have been talking the past several weeks about Hani, the circle maker, powerful story that took place in the first century church, uh, or actually first century before Christ was, was born, uh, almost 2,000 years ago, and there was, no, there was no rain. And Hani had a reputation of being a prayer warrior, that when he asked God for things, he did it. Church of the Harvest has a reputation of having prayer warriors that when we pray, God does stuff. It's amazing how God does that. But Honey went out, drew a circle. You heard the story, got in that circle, stayed there and said, God, I'm not leaving this circle until you allow it to rain. And God allowed it to rain. The story was documented. The story of Jericho, they, walked, they marched around the city seven times, seven times every, every day they marched around. The seventh day they marched seven times. In other words, we are not going to stop circling the city until we get a victory. When you look at Daniel, Daniel prayed three times a day. And as we look at the life of Daniel, we have some great revelation. First of all, you have the revelation that some people are just idiots and they're gonna do whatever they want because they can. Let me paint a scenario for you if I may. I'm the king, I have seven princes in my kingdom and I invite everybody to a party. 
and you guys come to party. We've got low and brow, we've got southern comfort, we've got crown royal, we've got Maui Wowie. We are partying. I mean, we are partying hard. All of us are getting wasted. All of a sudden, on a 50-foot wall, you see a, a hand the size of a Volkswagen. And this hand begins to write, many, many Tekyu Farsen. You're, you're trash. First of all, you probably think you're hallucinating, but, but, but you're there, and all of a sudden you see this handwriting on the wall, and it freaks you out. And so you go get your magicians, you go get your soothsayers, then all of a sudden you remember that you got a guy in the kingdom by the name of Daniel that seems to know things that nobody else knows. So they send for Daniel. And Daniel comes in, immediately he reads it, immediately he knows what it says. It says, King, because you're pursuing the lifestyle you're pursuing, Tonight, before this day is over, your kingdom is going to be trashed. You're going to die. Everybody's going to lose. And your kingdom is going to go to another nation. Now, I would think if any one of you, the doctor were to say, if you smoke another cigarette, you'll be dead before the day's over. If you drink another beer, you'll be dead before the day's over. If you put another drug in your body, you'll be dead before the day's over. I, if you guys were at Walmart, all of a sudden you saw this hand right, and it wrote your name, and it says, if you do this, you'll be dead before morning. How many would probably at least try to stop doing what they're doing? I mean, how many that would probably sober me up? If God himself, the handwriting's on the wall, and a guy that I know interprets dreams, a guy that I know knows the things of God. So I have learned from that story, people are idiots did not stop partying did not repent and that night the Persians came swarmed the camp killed all the 70 princes killed the king took the land took all the treasure and conquered the entire city that night before the night was over Daniel had that kind of touch with God Daniel saw a dream this will blow your mind Daniel saw a dream that relates to this season right here our generation saw a dream he knew, that, he knew that God had given him interpretation. He knew that he had that gift. But for some reason, this dream was not clear. Paul said, we look through a glass darkly, especially in prophetic stuff. So, da so Daniel says, there's something, there's something about this. I know it's important. I know, it, I know it con it's concerning time, times, and half a time. I know it concerns the great tribulation. I've, I've seen enough of, of prophecy, you know, that this has some to the last days, but it wasn't clear. So Gene, he began to, he began to fast. He began to pray. We know he prayed three times a day. He may have prayed more than three, knowing that this was certainly something that was on his heart and was troubling him. And he, and he fasted for 21 days. For 21 days, he did not eat a bite of food. Didn't put any food in his body. He prayed for 21 days. On the 21st day, Gabriel, who's the angel of revelation that always is attached to the church, and this prophetic word was for the church, this generation, Gabriel shows up in front of Daniel. And said, Daniel, the first day you prayed, watch this. The first day you prayed, God heard you. The first day. According to Jacob, we know that, not Led Zeppelin, but Jacob, there's a stairway that goes from earth to heaven. We know that. It's documented. Jacob saw it in his spirit. So we know that there are angels that go up and down this stairway and they're ministering spirits. They come to bless us. They came to touch us. They come to invest in our life. We don't pray to angels. They're messengers, helpers of God. But we know that they're there watching over us, guarding angels, all the worshiping angels. So, all, so Daniel believes in angels. And this angel shows up and said, man, day one, I had the answer. Watch this, guys. Day one, I had the answer. But to get the answer to you, I have been wrestling with Lucifer, 
which is in the, in the second heaven. His throne is in Persia, Iran, Iraq. That's where he literally lives and stays and dwells. And I have been wrestling with him for 21 days. And what happened was God sent Michael. Now, Michael is the Kung Fu guy. Michael is the 44 Smith and Wesson guy. Michael, Mike, is, Mike is, our, is our Matt Decker. He's the one that, you know, he, he's a man's man. We'll put this down right now and solve this problem. And so, and so uh, Michael comes and he gets Lucifer in a headlock and, and, and Gabriel slips around and tells Daniel the interpretation of the dream. And it has to do with the great tribulation. It has to do with the moon turning to blood. Hellstones, 100 pounds. One third of the world is being destroyed in an afternoon. Things that Revelation told us all about. So there's something about the power of persistency in prayer that will open windows and doors when you need them open. And when the enemy hinders or the enemy tries to stop or, 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 or hinder you, we just keep praying. We pray till we get that what? The breakthrough, there's actually a breakthrough. Balperism, there's a, he's the God of the breakthrough. And if you'll pursue him long enough, he will break through and tell you what you need to know. So in this journey, this roller coaster journey of, of going from Marlboro to, to, uh, to uh, marijuana to cocaine, in this journey, something, something inside of me always wanted to do the things of God. Raised all my life in church, all my life on the organ, trumpet, bass, guitar, harmonica, gazoo. I played every instrument in the church. And, and there was always a hunger to be around the things of God. And when I hit rock bottom, when things were at, when Pastor Rhonda Pack left, she's gone. All, all the things that are going on in my house, that's not important right now. When I hit rock bottom, I, I prayed. And it was, it was really kind of a silly prayer, Annabelle. But here's what I prayed. God, if you're really real... See, there's a lot of us that believe that God is real, but we're not convinced that he's really real. God, if you're really real, come to where I am, save me, cleanse me from all this junk. I was sleeping in the loaded 357. The lights were on. If you've ever been to Southern California, Disney, Disneyland, I started there on Beach Boulevard, and over 100 miles an hour, I drove a Lotus all the way to Huntington Beach. I ran 11 red lights, 12 red lights, just hoping that somebody would hit me and kill me. I didn't have the guts to pull the trigger, but I just thought, well, I'll just get in a car wreck. But God said, no, you're, you're, you're dumb. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a plan for your life. Hello, nobody's going to hit you. I have a feeling the second thing that greets me when I get to heaven will be a plethora of angels in wheelchairs, crutches, face bandages, arm, arm splits, and they say, we laid down our life for you. You'd like, to, you'd like to kill, you can't kill an angel, but I believe I've got some angels that have, have divinely interceded for me. And I said, God, if you're really real, and you know what, Larry, it wasn't like a, you know, a, it wasn't like an overwhelming love or warmth or raindrops or, or none of that. It was all of a sudden, it was like a light went on, something switched, and I realized I'm saved. I'm saved. And I made a decision, Micah, being raised in the church. I knew, I knew all the don'ts. Help me. Oh, I knew all the things I shouldn't do. But nobody had really taken the time to tell me all the things that I could do. When I gave my heart to God, I immediately knew what not to do. I mean, I know that I'm not going to put any more marble on my body. I'm not going to snort any more cocaine. I'm not going to smoke any more hash. I'm not going to drink any more wine coolers. I'm not going to look at any more pornography. I knew, I knew what not to do. But then I began to learn through a process of praying every day, going to church every Saturday night, st staying the whole Saturday night in the church. 
I would put a chair in the altar and Jim Holland, he's dead now. He was a missionary. He, he died. He, he went to be with the Lord. Jim and I would lay hands on this chair and, and we used every name. We used Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, uh, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissi. And we used every name of God. And we said, God, just, just grab Rhonda from Cleveland, Tennessee, snatch her up and set her right in the chair. And we actually thought that God would do it. I mean, we would open our eyes and look. And I remember one night, one night, Jim was so burdened. I, I don't think I've ever told this story here. Jim was so, Jim was so burdened for Rhonda and, and, and just burdened for me. And I was whining and crying, complaining. And Jim had his hands on this chair. I felt sorry for Jim. I mean, Jim, Jim was really travailing. So I walked around the chair and I put my arm on Jim and he thought an angel had touched him. He freaks out. He falls on the ground, starts jerking, speaking in tongues, rolling around. I just let him. I was going to, you know, I wasn't going to mess, mess with his parade. I just let him. But when I, th when I think back now, the faith. Okay, last night, I knew that wallet was there. Wednesday, I knew she would get transferred. We prayed for Melinda. I knew Melinda would not die. There, 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 there are things that you know in your knower because of your persistency of the God that you serve and the faithfulness of the God you serve. And when I think about faithfulness and we look at Daniel praying three times a day, we look at Elijah, the man that said it won't rain. It didn't rain for three years. Sometimes the person that causes your challenge can bring your solution. Or oh, you didn't hear me. Sometimes the person that causes your challenge will bring your solution. Many of you know that God gave me a word entitled America the Addicted. And many of you know that I teach about the hedge and, and the hedge of thorns that Hosea prayed around Gomer. There was a family that they had not been to our church in a long time, but they were going through a storm. And of course, Church of the Harvest were always there. We went to help them. They got evicted. We went to move them. And while, and while the guys were doing the work, and I was drinking coffee. I was talking with the, the, the lady that was, was strung out on drugs. And I handed her, I handed her a copy of America the Addicted. The D, I handed the DVD and gave it to her. And about three or four days later, she texted me. And she said, I watched the DVD. And I have prayed, watch this. I have prayed my own hedge of thorns around me. Christmas Eve, she was arrested spent Christmas and New Year's in jail. When she got out, we were the first people called, reconnected her to God. She said, I prayed my own hedge of thorns. See, sometimes the person that's praying a hedge of thorns around you, causing your calamity, is the one that when you hit rock bottom and you need a hand, they're going to be right there to say, okay, you're ready now to serve God. Let's walk this thing through. Let's sort this thing out. I have never ever in my life stood on a box and preached against homosexuality and I never will. But I will if someone comes to me and says, Pastor, I got some gender issues. I got some, I got some things going on. I think I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. I think I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. When they come to me, all of a sudden something comes alive in me and the word of God is so real and it's so pertinent to their deliverance and their victory. God does not make mistakes. God does not put a man in a woman's body. Our society did that. And I got, I got so angry this week when athletes and rappers were telling the camera, well, I agree with Mr. Obama. You can, you can fall in love with anybody who you want to fall in love with. I disagree. I can show you nations that were destroyed because they, they followed that thought process. 
God ordained for a husband and wife to become one. He said, that's, that's, that's holy. Let no man come against it. Let no man put us under. And so I, I, I believe that we're watching in this persistency of serving God, doing the right thing. The healthier that we get, the more God will open the doors to those that, that are around us that need us. But at that time, we weren't ready. I mean, I have been, I have been in counseling sessions and I, several years ago, we had a, uh, we did a, a verbiage change. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like toilet terms. I don't like, they're just, they're just words I was never used in my life as a child growing up. And there's some things that I don't think that a Christian should say. But we got to this kind of a, a different place in our ministry where we decided you don't have a problem, you have a challenge. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Your lion and bear prepares you for your Goliath. Bad things are going to happen to good people. You're going to get in a relationship that you wish that you had not got in. You're going to say things happen that you wish that you had, you had not got in. Does that, does that make sense? There, there are seasons. Let me carefully hear what I say. There are seasons in your life where you need to begin to believe what you declare. Almost every week behind this pulpit, this statement is made. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We make that statement almost every week. But there comes a, time, a season in your life when you've, got to, when you've got to believe what you know. It's not just good enough to know. Paul said, there stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am, whose I serve, and who I believe. So something, something comes alive when all of a sudden you, you, you actually believe the songs you sing. Wouldn't it be scary if we just started believing the lyrics of the songs we sing every Sunday morning? I want you, how great is our God? Sing to me. I mean, can you imagine how our life would change when we walk out there realizing I really, I really can overcome this challenge. I really can. Anyway, this young man came to me and he said, Pastor, I have a problem. I said, no, you have a challenge. He said, well, Pastor, I've been wearing women's clothing. I said, you're right, you have a problem. <laughs> but I have learned with the help of God and the process of doing the right thing, there's nothing that we can't overcome. I had a few more things written down here that I wanted to share with you. When all the other kids were playing sports and chasing girls, Eddie Van Halen would spend four to six hours a day playing guitar. Bruce Lee never let a 24-hour period go by that he did not throw consistently a thousand punches every day a thousand punches when you look at japan and you look at america they took the first graders of japan and compared them to the first graders of america they gave them a problem that was too difficult to solve the challenge was not to solve the problem the challenge was to see how long they worked on it before they gave up the first grade japanese worked on it nine minutes the first grade american worked on it two minutes we have lost, we have lost, they, they compared an average cello player with a good cello player and a great cello, cello player. The good cello player played the cello four to five hours a month. The good cello player played the cello four or five hours a week. The great concert cello player played the cello four to five hours a day. 
there's, there's, something, there's something about not just believing the words that we say, but living the life we sing about. Living the life we sing about. And realize that every day, a rock, a storm, an accusation, and it's like, it's like if, you've, if you've never hunted quail, let me tell you about quail hunting, especially if you have a dog. That dog knows where those quail are. And a good dog will stop out of gun range and will point. And you know, you know, the next step or two that you take, they're going to fly and you're going to shoot them. And no matter how prepared you are, doesn't matter how ready you are, when they, something hurt goes, wow! That's how uh, Vice President shot his butt. Like, shot, 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 yeah, there's something about even when you know that every day there's going to be a trap, there's going to be a detour, there's going to be a snag, even though you know it's going to be there, there are still times in our life when it happens, it's almost overwhelming. Am I talking to anybody in the building? Pastor Rhonda almost got in my garden today, but she didn't. Pastor Rhonda calls me. I can't. I think she's praying in tongues. She's telling me her and Debbie's watching this, this horse race, and she's watched all the owners and all the caddies and all the jockeys and all the everybody. God that feeds them, waters them, checks their pulse. I mean, she's 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 all into this race, and and she's telling about this. She goes, "When we come home, don't touch the TV. I got it paused just where I want it paused." And so, sure enough, uh, I'll have another comes from fifth place on the outside the last second wins by nose literally wins his head and nose was past bodacious just, just a little bit and so they start and it was exciting she was jumping up and down foaming I mean she was I'm laying on the couch going too much hot tea <laughs> too much caffeine today but the owner of this horse said when I bought this horse only paid 11,000 for him, 11 or 15, 11,000 for him. And really didn't think that it, he would be all that, but he was a good stock and I was gonna breed him. You know that horse is worth, do you know what that horse is worth today? $50 million. You may feel like today you're only worth 11,000. God thinks you're worth, help me Matt. God thinks you're worth $50 million. Three years divorced. Prayed every day. Confessed every day. Started reading books on how to be a good husband. New Year's Eve. My parents were, my parents were married on New Year's Eve. My mom got pregnant her wedding night. They were, my dad, mom and dad were both virgins. Got pregnant. My, my sister was born nine months and three days after their, their wedding night. We take them out to eat. And this is a whole other thought, Pastor David, but be careful who you allow to touch your stuff. Be careful who you share your vision with. Be careful who you share your destiny with. 
be sure who you be careful who you include in the process that day some guys from my past they'd come to Sunday before hear me preach my past came over to my house and Christian I had an auto 5 browning I had a 7 millimeter browning I had a 9 millimeter Smith and Wesson 22 9 shot Smith and Wesson uh, there was a 7 mag Remington had about 12 had about 12 guns hidden in the bedroom I stayed when I went and preached for my parents and James I pulled everything out on the bed and showed all my guns be careful who you show your stuff to Isaiah said Hezekiah who were those guys and what do they want they're from the north I showed them everything said what you've done not good they're going to come back they're going to take everything you got you read the story that night we took my parents out to eat New Year's Eve and I guess the burglars assumed that we'd be gone all evening but we were gone to about night when we came home there were people in our house my parents house robbing the house I took the basic things, the TV, the, uh, at that time, the uh, DVDs, the, the player was about this big, and this, you remember those? And the camera was like, you had to lift weights just to put the camera up your shoulder. And that was the, the ministry camera that I took to Haiti and filmed miracles of the dead being raised, just incredible. Took all that, took all my guns, took the petty cash my mom had hidden in the sugar bowl. Listen, the sugar bowl is not a good place hide money under the mattress the sugar bowl first two places they look trust me I know so we come in the house has been if you've never been robbed it almost feels like a rape someone's been in my house someone my, my home was unguarded it's not safe anymore a lot of people will move a lot of people will move when, if they've ever been robbed and so I walk outside this is New Year's Eve I walked outside I walked down the church parking lot. And here I just said, God, I don't understand. I was tithing 20% of my honorariums. I was preaching Sunday through Friday, then Saturday I fly somewhere. One year I preached 52 weeks, 52 consecutive. I started a revival the day after Christmas and preached that whole week. I said, God, I'm seeing marriages healed. I'm seeing young people. I was doing a sermon called Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell. Thousands of young people gave their heart to God. It was a dispose on the, the dangers of backmasking, masking and persuasion. I was like, I don't understand. You ever that way? Here I am serving you. I give it my very best. I don't compromise. I understand. You don't heal my wife. You don't heal my marriage. You let somebody rob me. And like I'm, I've only heard God talk to me three or four times audibly. But that was one of those audible moments. He said, this next year will be the best year of your life. Just like that. No explanation, no detailed inquiry, one little phrase. I didn't like it, but it was God and it was audible. And I, I even looked over the fence. <laughs> I jumped up on the fence. We had a fence, all the, we had a brick fence. I jumped up to make sure there was no, and there wasn't Robert. It was, it was the audible voice of God. This next year, okay, this is New Year's Eve. Get on a plane. 
Saturday night, a flight to Dalton, Georgia. Pastor's home. Saturday night, the phone rings. I've never met this pastor. Staying in his home. Walks in and says, Brother Hank, this calls for you. Nobody knows I'm there. I mean, I guess itinerary. We had a newsletter. I take the phone. First time in three years, I heard Rhonda's voice. First time. I said, what? Is your mom dead? Did your dog die? What happened? I thought it was something horrible. I knew she would never call me, ever call me. She said, hey, I heard that you were in the area and I feel like we need to meet. I don't remember what I said. It's probably something cool like, okay, ciao, whatever. <laughs> really? Hung up the phone. I could relate to jumping without a rope and jumping without a pogo stick. I mean, I did the helicopter. I did the chicken peck. I called Marcus Lamb, 12 o'clock at night. Tuesday, we meet at this restaurant. And she said, hey, I just came to tell you that that's a close chapter in my life. I forgive you for all that. I think you need to go on with your life. I'll go on with my life. Just want to let you know that I forgive you. That began a week process, Micah. Three years. Every single day. I did crazy stuff. I sent her money. I sent her watches. She sent the watch. I think she kept the money, sent the watch back. <laughs> Everywhere I went, people got tired of hanging around me. Because all I would tell them was, I'm believing God for a miracle. Oh, there were girls. You can't go preach revival and girls don't want to date the van. You know how all that goes. But there was no one like Rhonda. There wasn't anyone like Rhonda. That week process, I watched like dominoes. God removed this, he removed this, he removed this, removed this. Never, Melinda, I, I can tell you three times in my ministry that I had to call a pastor and cancel because the revival went on only three times in my entire ministry. That Sunday night, the pastor said, listen, this thing going, several hundred church ran about a thousand. We were having 900 to a thousand every night every night the altars were full he said you want to go another week I said yeah I said you got to call this pastor where I'm supposed to be I wasn't even supposed to be there that week but Tuesday night I preached a sermon on the power of the Holy Ghost I'm on the platform and I ask everybody to come down the altars several several hundred people in the altars and all of a sudden out of the blue divorced college student working three jobs to pay her own way lets out a message in tongues in the altar area. I give the interpretation. I wanted to say, thus saith the Lord. Get your honey back to your husband as soon as you can. But I didn't. I didn't. I wanted to. Oh, there's a lot of times I would like to manipulate the authority and the anointing that God has given me, but I stand before God with clean hands and clean heart. And so when she gave the message in tongues, I had the interpretation. It was about, you know, Oh, God saved the world, something general. But when that happened, the conclusion of that week, there was a lightning bolt that went from her to me. And all of a sudden, all the abuse, all the verbal, all the garbage melted like the wicked witch 
remember, melted. There was no animosity. There was no anger. There was no fear. I walked over, took her hand, held her hand all the way to the restaurant. I've been fasting since when God told me this would be the best year of your life. I did not eat a bite of food from that night until the, until the night God healed our marriage. 11 days. I let her finish her year at Lee. We were married May 15th. She came crawling back and I allowed her back in my life like Jose and Gomer. I never gave up. Never gave up. I'm not saying the devil placed people in my life that could have been a second plan B, door number two. But I never gave up. There's something to be said about persistence when you lay it on the altar and say, I believe in what you say. I trust in what you do. I completely surrender everything to you. Here it is. Do what you can with it. Every head bowed, every eye closed.